Very recently in our midweek prayer meeting, we have considered the words of Psalm 105 and verse 8, and I would like to do so again, but to amplify it, to expand upon it as a window into the entire book of the Psalms, as we've uh, recently had some uh, some studies, both Pastor Worrell this morning and myself the previous week on the topic of Christ in the Psalms. One last consideration of the book of Psalms uh, through the, the window of Psalm 105 and verse 8 on the topic of the covenant in the Psalms. The covenant in the Psalms. And so David writes, Psalm 105 and verse 8, reading through verse 10, He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac, and confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. God, we know, is so very high and lifted up. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And how very little, how very little of any meaningful sense do we have of the infinite greatness of God? If memory does not fail me, I believe it was Samuel Rutherford who once likened to the understanding of man of the things of God as a little thimble going to the ocean and to fill up that little thimble with that little bit of salt water. And what we have there is real ocean. Fundamentally no different than all the rest of the waters in a thousand seas. But how very small, how very narrow and constrained it is. Well, this great God whose whose thoughts so far transcend ours has condescended to us to speak in our language. uh, To take concepts and figures from the shelf of the pantry of our experience in this world and to use it so that we, by these humble things, can understand. And our forefathers, those who composed the Westminster Confession of Faith, said that one of the great figures or concepts that the Lord has taken down from the shelf of our collective experience in order to explain himself, his ways, and above all, his salvation, is that of covenant. We can have no fruition, that is, enjoyment, of him except by some voluntary condescension on his part, which he has been pleased to express by way of covenant. And so covenant is a a radical, fundamental concept 
that perhaps we don't always use it in everyday life, but we have enough of an understanding and of an experience of it so that it is a point of contact between heaven and earth that we may understand and be saved because, dear friends and young people, you must understand what God is saying or you will not be saved. You are not expected to understand everything, but you must understand the essence of what he is communicating. And if he is speaking, you had better listen. You cannot afford to gamble eternity by not paying attention. And God is taking pains to speak to you by using the language of covenant, of contract, or sometimes as some of our fathers, Durham in a very colorful and descriptive way, speaking of a bargain. The Lord has dropped his prices at the great cost of the blood of the Son of God so that you may close the bargain and lay hold. Well, let us consider this great theme that the Lord takes from the shelf of our common experience to explain to us himself and his glorious ways of salvation and zero in on the book of Psalms. Let's, in a biblical theological approach, narrow our consideration of covenant in the book of Psalms. And I would set before you, dear brothers and sisters, six dimensions of covenant in the book of Psalms. Six dimensions of the covenant concept, the covenant idea in the book of Psalms. First is divine covenant. Divine covenant. Now, there are all kinds of covenants or contracts, solemn arrangements that are made in this world. Do you remember, young people, when Jacob had made an arrangement with Laban? Why did he make an arrangement with Laban? Well, he had fallen in love with his daughter. And Laban's kind of a tricky character. And so the contract that was made, there was, some, there was some fine print, and it was brought in after the document had been signed. Well, it would have been nice to have had this on the front end. Why didn't you tell me that it was the custom among your people? And he changed his wages ten times. Just because it's not on a piece of paper doesn't mean it's not a contract, doesn't mean it's not a covenant, although when it is committed to writing, it is much more useful for that covenant to be ratified and maintained. Well, we, both in the Bible and in our experience, have all kinds of covenants between two equal parties, but... The focus of covenant in the Psalms, as with the rest of the scriptures, is on 
divine covenant. That is, the Lord initiates the covenant. He hath remembered his covenant forever, his covenant. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. He took the initiative. I did not choose your fathers because they were more righteous. I freely and sovereignly set my love upon Abraham. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Salvation is of the Lord. If we are to be saved, we need to enter into this covenant, enter into this into this arrangement that God has devised and initiated and provided. It is his promise, the promise, Abraham, that I will bless you in your seed. Those who bless you, I will bless them. Those who curse you, I will curse them. I promise you, I promise you the land. And so the church celebrates in Psalm 44 what God had done in fulfilling the promise that he made to the fathers. O Lord, we with our ears have heard, our fathers have us told what wondrous works, things thou in their days hast done, even in the days of old. Thy hand did drive the heathen out and plant them in their place. Thou didst afflict the nations, but them thou didst increase, all according to the promise God's free promise, which Abraham believed and therefore was justified. It's the same covenant that believers extol in the Psalms. And it is the oath. Verse 9, which covenant... He made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac. He not only gave a promise, but he swore. And so recurring through the Psalms, there is the celebration of Jehovah who initiated, promised, and add his own oath so that the heirs of promise could be sure. So the first dimension of covenant in the Psalms is that of a divine covenant. Second, an unfolding covenant. We have throughout the remembrance of and the glorying in the Abrahamic covenant. That was really uh, the the very nursery, wasn't it, of everything else of blessing that God would do for his people. He has remembered his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations and the first generation was with this man of Ur in the Chaldees who with his family worshipped gods of human devising.
That is the covenant. And then there is the Mosaic covenant, not fundamentally different, but of a unique character. Oftentimes in the Bible and in the Psalms, as we shall see soon, sometimes covenant is synonymous with law. When God entered into covenant with his people at Sinai, he gave them his his law, and it was a gracious gift. And as we recall, at least one of the psalms that we have in our spirit-inspired hymnal was composed by Moses himself. Moses who traced God's covenant faithfulness through himself and his generation from the days of Abraham going through him and his generation unto generations yet unborn. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in generations all. That's covenant language, dear friends. He has remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. And when God saved his people out of Egypt, he was keeping covenant Of course, the Davidic covenant factors in very significantly in the book of Psalms. Really, the Psalter is is the product especially of David and of that covenant that God engaged with David, the man after his own heart. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne is the days of heaven. Now, it did not please the Lord, perhaps for reasons that we'll never know this side of glory, not to continue adding to the 150 psalms after the administration of the Davidic covenant. But Father knows best. Father knows best. And when we consider how much there is of gospel in the Abrahamic covenant, under the administration of Moses, and especially in the Davidic covenant then if the Lord simply says to his new covenant people, I will have you take up this hymnal and continue to use it as your fathers did and your grandfathers did, then we have no reason to complain, but all the more to rejoice because we can sing the new song as we heard this morning with a new understanding. Unfolding covenant. Third, the third dimension to covenant in the Psalms, and none of these things, I suppose, are absolutely unique to the Psalms, but we discover them throughout the Old Testament. But in the Psalms, there is what we might call the liturgical shape to the Psalms, The, the, the covenant as it is experienced, as it is sung, as it is Lamented? Uh, 
there is the dimension of the corporate and the expansive. Corporate is a word that in the English comes from the idea of the body. When we say corporate in this context, uh, let's not let our minds go into the business world so much as instead to say that corporate is that which is not limited to the one, to the singular, to the individual, but to the many. In particular, to the household unit. Not only to the household unit, but no less than the household unit has God given this gracious covenant. It has always been the case that the visible church consists of all those who profess the true religion and their children. That's the way it was in the days of Noah when eight souls were saved by water on account of one man. We find that with Father Abraham. I will be unto you a God and unto your children after you. You don't just leave it up to the kids. That's a very modern, enlightenment kind of opinion in our free-thinking age in which we've become so very wise and sophisticated as to reject the binary. But no, God says, I will bless you and I will bless your house. And that's exactly what we find reverberating through the corridors of the Psalter. Jehovah engages his covenant with households. That man who fears the Lord, he is blessed. He who has his quiver full of arrows. He shall stand in the gates with these allies of his own house. The principle of Joshua, as for me and my house, uh, finds its, its, its heartbeat constantly beating through the Psalter. Don't we see it in in For example, Psalm 22, verse 4. David is in the midst of lamenting. And he feels out of joint. Out of joint from what? Out of joint from his fathers. Because our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. But in his experience at that point, he felt out of joint. And he's bringing this before the Lord in all its ugliness. And you know what? Isn't that one of the blessings of the Psalter? Is that sometimes it just presents the language of what we really feel and not necessarily what we may wish we felt. But our fathers trusted in thee. 
Or as we heard a moment ago, Lord, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us. That's what Moses had instructed the nation. You are to teach these things diligently to your children. And so Psalm 78. The first uh, several uh, verses of that psalm are are, are taken up with that, that, that parable that is spoken to the next generation that they might set their hope in God and suffer not to fall his mighty works out of his mind but keep his precepts all. That there would be continuity through the generations because God has made a covenant through the generations. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. And that thousand there is not to be understood as simply one after 999. It's shorthand for just stop counting. That's how great, that's how good God is. He doesn't just drip his grace Oftentimes, he's free to do that too, but he often doesn't just drip his grace on an isolated sinner, but he causes his grace to fall upon a sinner and to wash in love and in mercy those who have come from him. And so... When Peter preaches to the Jerusalem sinners, he says in Acts 3, 25 and 26, Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. It is your singular privilege to be downstream of Abraham and the prophets. The children of God's children have great outward church privileges. Their parents, they rejoice when they say unto them, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, maybe the child doesn't always rejoice. I remember many times myself not being so very happy that mom and dad were making me go to church. But I'm happy now. Oh, I'm happy now. And sometimes we have to pursue good habits, don't we? Over a period of time before we begin to experience the beauty and the wonder and the glory of it. What a great privilege it is for you, young people, that you can be in this Bethel, the house of God. God is present in this place whenever his word, as we have heard this morning, whenever his word by his faithful servants is being proclaimed. I am in the midst of you. Do you see him? Do you see him, my friend? 
you understand this is the very place where angels are peering over the balcony of heaven to look into these things? They have the great outward privilege of the instruction, the teaching of God's holy word, the family worship, the restraints of family discipline. I mean, look at what's going out there, going on out there in this world. Young people, could you just imagine being in an environment like that? The Lord Jehovah reaches his wings beyond your parents. What a wonderful thing. You are those little chicks and he reaches his wings and he wants to bring you under his loving care. Now you've got to accept it. But it doesn't change the fact whether or not you accept it that you happen to be under those wings and not far away like pagan children. Oh, these children have exceeding great and precious promises. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word that he commanded to a thousand generations. Consider Psalm 25. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. Psalm 112, verses 1 and 2. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Those are wonderful promises. In a certain sense, the children of God's children have a kind of title to the kingdom. You are the children of the prophets, you are Abraham's seed. But more, there is a special and real claim of heaven upon them. He commanded, he commanded his covenant to a thousand generations, which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath unto his son Isaac. And confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. He said, they're mine. They're mine. And so he rebuked kings for their sakes. And he said, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. They are my children. Parents, your children are in the covenant. They are in this covenant. Outwardly, but really. Bring your children to baptism. 
And having done so, renew your vows in behalf of these children who are heirs. They've not yet inherited it. They've not yet, many of them, not yet themselves repented and exercised faith. But you have made promises. God has covenanted with you, and you have covenanted back to God. And you have sworn in the holy congregation, that you will bring up these children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That you will pray for them. And that you will claim these psalms and their promises as your portion by faith. And what great blessings and encouragements you have, parents. And children, what great privileges you have. You are the children of the kingdom. God has remembered his covenant, the word that he has commanded for a thousand generations. And he has handpicked you and given them to your parents given you to your parents that they might teach you, that they might bring you to him who is the heart of the covenant, that is Jesus Christ. But you've got to respond. The parents, they have to do their job in teaching you, in training you, in restraining you, in guiding you. But they cannot repent and believe for you. You must do that. You, when you come of years, you must yourself say, my Father's God and I will exalt Him. I identify with that stream of the generations, the thousand generations to whom God, with whom God has entered into covenant. And do not deal falsely with him. You may not be able to see it, but this covenant, it is a very real thing. It binds you. You are bound unto Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't say that you are truly in Christ. That can only happen when you repent and believe the gospel. But you have been promised to Christ. As Paul says, I have espoused you to the Lord Jesus. Now you have really only one of two choices, young people. Either you reject and spit on this covenant. Or you take it with all your heart. That's the only choice. Either you embrace with repentance and brokenness. Do thou forgive my sins and faults of youth. O Lord, I throw myself at your feet for the covenant of grace. Take me, I'm yours, Jesus. Or you spit in his face and renounce your inheritance. There are only two choices. Which will it be? But let us say something further under this heading of corporate expansive covenant, and that is the nations. Uh, 
Again, we, we heard this theme raised this morning. But when the Lord deals with men, not just individually, but corporately, it doesn't stop at the household. It keeps on going all the way to the nations. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Which is why our fathers believed that nations should covenant with God. And the Gentiles, the nations, would be grafted in. Hastening on, our fourth point, the fourth dimension of covenant in the Psalter is conditional covenant. Conditional covenant. We mentioned that sometimes covenant in the Psalms, as with the rest of the Old Testament, can be simply another way of saying the law. So it is in Psalm 78.10. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. Israel broke the covenant by their gross idolatry. They dealt falsely. They dealt falsely with the Lord. And so God gave them a bill of divorcement. There was a kind of a kind of a condition. And so it was in the Davidic covenant. There was a conditional dimension. Psalm 89.30, if his children forsake my law, that is the children of David, and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. If, then, if you obey, I will bless you. I will let you live in this land and you shall be my people and I will be your God. But if you will not listen to me and you persist in your disobedience, I will surely uproot you out of this land. In fact, this land will vomit you out. And so the covenant we encounter in the Psalms often is presented as breakable. We see this in Psalm 81. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto thee, O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me. There shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open wide thy mouth, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own hearts' lusts, and they walked 
in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened to me and Israel had walked in my ways. Psalm 95. Today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's what the fathers did in the desert. Dear friends, right now, young people, old people, middle age, whoever you are, don't harden your heart. Today, oh, I'll deal with that tomorrow, pastor. No. You don't know if you have a tomorrow. If you harden your heart and you don't have a tomorrow, you will not enter into heavenly rest. You will instead open your eyes in eternal torments as a covenant breaker. Now visitors, unconverted visitors who come in this church will go to hell for their sins. But if you don't respond to this, you will suffer in a deeper and more intense region of hell. Because God had entered into covenant with you. And you threw it off. But there is even another dimension of this dimension. And that is to say that the covenant is often presented in the Psalms as with the rest of the Old Testament as evangelical, with gracious conditions, not meritorious ones, but there is the call to faith and repentance. That is the sense in which children are conditionally in the covenant of grace, on the condition they may remain and be advanced unto full membership in the visible church, and have much greater assurance of faith if they believe, if they take his yoke upon them. Fifth, there is a personal, even a secret, a covenant. The covenant of the Lord in the Psalms is, in many ways, corporate. Across the generations, he has remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. There is Abraham, there is Isaac, there is Jacob, there are the twelve sons, there are their children, and their children, and their children. And yet, there is also a dimension of covenant that is so very personal and intimate, and we see it throughout the Psalms. David says, thou art he who took me out of the womb. Jehovah was my wit, the midwife. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Now when... When a believer truly awakens and becomes a genuine believer, she looks back and she looks at her baptism. She says, 
You've been my God. I didn't know you, but you've been my God from my mother's womb. And the covenant is also God's sovereign grant to a few to enter into his private, intimate presence. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show him his covenant. Unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do with my statutes, that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee. And so it is today in the visible church. There are many who take the covenant in their mouth, but they don't have a right to it because they don't have true repentance and faith. But but the secret of the Lord, the secret intimacy that can hardly even be put into words. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That is the intimacy of covenant. Don't think of covenant strictly in terms of contract. Can I say it reverently? Think of it in terms of the marriage bed, which is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Think of the Song of Solomon, and there you have covenant. Think of Psalm 45, the king and his bride, and there you have the intimacy of God's gracious covenant. Sixth and last, covenant above all in the Psalter is unconditional. It is wholly gracious. There are aspects and dimensions of covenant that are conditional. There is, of course, we might speak in another context of the covenant of works. But this covenant, this covenant, it is most gracious It is most gracious because it it rests upon the free grace of God. Though, Though David's sons may forsake my law, though I may visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Now listen closely, Psalm 89, 33. Nevertheless... My coven, my loving kindness, will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. And that's covenant language. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. That is why, though many do not believe and though many natural branches are broken off because of their unbelief, that nevertheless, God's promise 
His covenant stands sure. For where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And this covenant can be forever an everlasting covenant unto a thousand generations and thousands and thousands upon that. Because Christ the seed fulfilled the conditions of the covenant that the others had not and could not and would not. Thomas Boston speaks of the problem of the first covenant, the covenant of works made with our first parents in the garden. And he says, though he was a holy and righteous man, yet he was so fickle and unstable that he failed performing the conditions he undertook. That's like David and his sons, so fickle, so unstable. And so Boston says, they, that is these sinners, being then wholly a broken company, not to be trusted in the matter, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was constituted head of the new covenant to act for and in the name of the spiritual seed. And bless God. Bless God. Hosanna in the highest to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Bless God that he has come. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Please stand. O Lord, grant now thy blessing to us as we depart now, having heard thy word. May we receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' most worthy name. Amen. Let us close singing these.